0: Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 207, Courageous Pastors, the South.
1: Yes, the South, we'll explain what we mean there. Hello, welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. We are coming at you from the lovely WCSG radio studio in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I have alongside me, my husband, and favorite, I'm for Favorite licensed therapist, Matt Krieg. Hi, hi. Hi. We're going to keep that favorite in there. We're going to move along to my other favorite <laughs> friend, producer Steve, who is also the most professional radio voice among us. Hi, Steve. Hi, guys. How are you?
0: I'm good. I think favorite should be your new nickname for Matt. <laughs>
1: Speaking of nicknames, right. we're going to get that. That's true. That'd be, I guess that's cute. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get to some of your cute nicknames for the question of the week. Uh, but first, I'm going to explain some of what we are launching today. It's a mini series of three. I'm going to be interviewing. We're going to be interviewing three pastors, one from the south in the United States, not the south of Wales or France. I feel like that'd be fun. Uh, Also, on the West Coast, uh, we have someone from, a pastor from, God willing, uh, San Francisco and on the East Coast. And what we're going to be asking them is, what did it take for these courageous pastors to go from conceptualization of the idea of, I need to talk about human sexuality from the pulpit, to actualization of giving the sermon or sermon series from the pulpit. Uh, There's a Barna study in 2019 of pastors, and three of the top four things that pastors felt both pressured to speak on and yet propelled to speak about was related to human sexuality, specifically same-sex marriage. So they're feeling this compulsion, this desire to, and maybe fear. Uh, And so I really wanted to understand how did they get from concept To the pulpit. I wrote a paper on it. uh, And so we're actually going to be interviewing one of my professors from this, not when I wrote this paper, but from Wheaton, where I'm getting that graduate degree. And who is that person who is from the South? Uh, One of our courageous pastors who's going to help us understand his name is Dr. Josh Laxton. Josh, welcome.
2: Well, it is great to be with all of you, Lori. And so thank you for having me.
1: We're so glad to have you. Steve, can you help us get to know this, my, my professor, a little bit better?
2: For sure. Uh, to get to know this Southern
0: pastor. Josh is a pastor, author, and professor who is a native of Tennessee, uh, and he's been serving the local church in vocational ministry for nearly 20 years. Currently the lead pastor at Northland Church in Longwood, Florida. Uh, Josh has his PhD from Southeastern Baptist Seminary. Teaches as an adjunct professor at Wheaton Graduate School of Ministry, Mission, and Leadership. <laughs> Shouldn't that be Wheat? Uh, <laughs> Josh is also the author of books like Crisis Leadership from a Christian Perspective and has been featured in Christianity Today and Outreach Magazines. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. And the Harvard of
3: Christian Josh, universities, we so have so to say I feel so embarrassed
1: about that. Don't say it anymore. <laughs> okay.
3: <laughs> All right. Well, we want to get to know Josh a little better and some of our listeners. And so we are going to jump into the question of the week, which is, Josh, what is your nickname and how did you get it?
2: Well, so my legal name is Joshua Brandon Laxton. So Josh, I guess, would be considered more of my shortened nickname. But growing up, see, very few people know this. So when you ask questions like this, you get to, you get to know things that very few people know. But <laughs> growing up, when I played baseball, travel ball, they called me Big Cat. Now, I don't know where that really came from. I, but I would ha- on even my jerseys it would just be big cat like so it's it's weird but that but <laughs> my wife does not call me that so <laughs> she calls me babe sometimes so and then you know some other choice words when I'm in trouble
1: <laughs> uh, man. oh man that's so good Matt you had a listener Brianna she yeah. sent her answer in and it is one of the cute ones yes my name is Brianna Barnes from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I have two different nicknames, one of which is uh, Cheese, because my nickname or my name is Brie, spelled like the cheese. Um, the mm. other one comes from my husband. Before we were dating, we were out with some friends late at night, and I was a little slap happy and tired, and he said the word bubbles, and I burst into tears, laughing so hard I was <laughs> crying,
2: and Aww. the
1: name just kind of stuck. Um, and his name is Dylan. So I call him Pickles, like dill pickles. So, from before we were dating until now, we've been married for just over a year, and together for a little less than six years, we've been Bubbles and Pickles. That's cute. That's cute. That sounds like a cartoon. Bubbles and Pickles. <laughs> yes. Steve which on Nickelodeon. You reached out via the radio. Uh,
0: yeah, I asked this on the afternoon show at WCSG yesterday, and uh, so I got this answer uh, on the air uh from cresta
1: my name is c-r-e-s-t-a so my nickname um still even now as an adult is toothpaste
0: (laughs) my dad still called me toothpaste it's a good (laughs) mnemonic device when people
1: are first meeting me i'll tell them it's toothpaste with an a on the end
0: with an a on the end
3: that's That's adorable yeah
1: how do you to go back to the last one, how do you spell Brie Cheese?
3: B-R-I-E.
1: I-E, okay. Oh, there you go. I don't have audio. Sorry, guys. Uh, but I did get one from Erin, spelled E-R-I-N on Instagram. And she said her uh, nickname is A-A-Ron. From the, <laughs> Yeah. The, the Key and Peel skits. If you know, you know. Everyone, I'm so sorry. I've seen the recovery skits of people who got made fun of in that skit. Uh, anyway, we won't belabor that, but thank you so much to everyone who sent in responses. You guys crack me up every single week if you uh, follow me on Facebook. If you listen to the afternoon show, yeah. you can start doing this on maybe, maybe so. Tuesdays. Sure. I like it. <laughs> uh, we record on Wednesdays. So listen to WCSG or answer on the Whole in My Heart podcast facebook page there's lots of places to find us but let's pivot back to josh and we want to ask you the question that we ask every one of our guests which is this if the gospel is we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in jesus christ than we ever dared hope how is that gospel first good news for you and how is it still
2: yeah, so I remember growing up in church. So I grew up in the South, right outside of Memphis, and the church that we attended, we were members at, was called Beaver Baptist Church. So wow. and the road was actually called Be- Beaver Road. So <laughs> that's where the whole beaver at least came in. So it wasn't like beaver was a our mascot at the church, but <laughs> nevertheless, nevertheless, I remember you know, walking down an aisle when I was eight years old and the pastor, he received me. And then after the gathering, we went and talked um, about Jesus my mom was present and there he led me to faith in Christ and I've never been the same and over the years and so that was I'm 41 now that was when I'm 8 so do the math so it's been a long time since I've been following Jesus and I'm 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 not the same person and you know in each day each hopefully month year I continue to to be conformed more into the image of Jesus and so um, that that that's where my faith story began when I was eight. And now that I'm 41, I still have not gotten over the fact that Jesus, uh, he, he loved me. And he demonstrated that love by going to the cross to die for not only my sin, but the sin of the world. And now I want to follow him and I want to worship him as king, as savior.
1: That is awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So how did you know when the time was right? Like, what brought you to the point of realizing you needed to give a sermon or do a sermon series on, you know, LGBTQIA, like that conversation, what was going on that brought you to that point of realization?
2: Yes, yeah, Steve. So what happened particularly here, I've only been here a year and a half. I not even really about, about 16, 17 months. And when I got here, uh, Northland is a well-known church in the area, uh, at one point was one of the largest churches in Florida, and they just had never had any clarity around what they believed about gender and sexuality. And so I did not know what, uh, you know, basically when I was going to have to talk about it, but it became very clear early on that there was just no clarity. So mm-hmm. we actually even had people on our staff uh, that would have been part of that community, And we had people who were part of our church uh, that were part of that community because, again, there there, there had been no clarity on what Northland believed about gender or sexuality. And Part of the series that I did back in the you know back in the summer uh, this year, so in 2023, I knew I was going to be unpacking our major primary doctrines of what we believed and that we needed to put marriage, family, gender, and sexuality as part of that. So that's what that's what you know, pr- you know precipitated this mm-hmm. message on uh, what we believe about gender and sexuality.
1: I want to jump in real quick, sorry, before you go to the next question. You you said there was no clarity. Yeah. Just We're going to kind of go a little bit for the jugular quick, and then sorry, Matt, yeah. I want you to do the next one, but why is, cl- I say this a lot, clarity is kindness. Why was clarity important and an act of kindness for your church?
2: So, So my situation was unique because the previous pastor who... Pastored here for 32 years. In 2008, he became one of President Obama's spiritual advisors. And from 2008 to 2017, when he stepped down after 32 years, he created he created this void that he never in some he never clarified what what the church's position was on because he he kept on trying to build bridges. To that community, so while mm. I have a lot of documentation privately, he held a a, a traditional view of marriage and and gender. Uh, he never clarified that publicly. Mm. So where where it does play a huge role for churches is that regard you know like clarity, and I love how you say it. Clarity is kindness because you you are you are clarifying your position. I, as a church on these things so that people just know where you stand, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to trying to figure out kind of where, where you might stand. Because I actually had people thinking that Northland was an affirming church when it had never in its 50 years been an affirming church. So that's how mm-hmm. unclear things were here.
3: Huh. Yeah. So, so the church was, was kind of silent on the issue. And I know, um, You know back in 2016 when you know orlando kind of made the national news with the pulse nightclub shooting and and everything like what what was i guess in the surrounding community what was the the cultural vibe regarding you know the the lgbtq conversation and and everything that you were speaking into
2: yeah and yeah so in 2016 that pulse nightclub uh, shooting that you're referencing matt that was when the the pastor here, that's when he he became very outspoken in defense and protection against the, the gay community, mm-hmm. the LGBTQ community. And that's also where a lot happened in his particular life where he really tried to bridge the gap. But and I've had a personal conversation with him about it, but how he went about bridging the gap. It did make it unclear where the church stood, and so, mm-hmm. but uh, 2016 actually became, um, it really became almost ground zero, particularly for Northland, where all of this. Um, Kind of muddiness came on the scene, even to the degree where they had a conference uh, about a year or two later. What is it? The Reformation Project, you, you know, come, you know, kind of coming here, Matthew Vines, and then that even made it more unclear because now you have people who are professing, affirming in that vein that are now sharing the the stage here at Northland, and I mean, it was a absolute disaster and mess for. Northland as a local church in this area. So that so, so coming in in 2022, 20, uh, like I did, I had all of this history that I had to navigate and all of the history too of what I had been hearing so early on in my pastorate.
1: Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing you say is you had to tackle this pretty quick, within a year-ish of joining the staff, taking leadership, but it was kind Uh, because it was so ambiguous. So you're not saying don't build bridges. You're saying say what you believe and then say how you're going to go about that holding to what you believe. Is that what I'm hearing?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, exactly, Uh, because there's a way to build bridges and to protect the LGBTQ uh, LGBTQ community without acqui, you know, kind of acquiescing to affirming the, right. their life, you, you know, hey, p- particularly for those who would hold that traditional view of marriage. And but what was happening is while they're trying to protect rights and protect life, and to they're they're also not speaking, you know, they're, they're not clarifying the the position, the biblical position that they've that they've always held, which then makes it confusing for for people. Hmm. So I think you can do both and. um, I do think it's what I call the messy middle, but (laughs) I do believe that you can do it both faithfully to not only the scripture, but also faithful uh, to human life and to protecting human life and and rights. Hmm. Hmm. So uh,
0: having grown up in the South, and I know Orlando is a little bit different from, you know, my like Georgia and Alabama, but just kind of thinking through that region of the US, are there unique challenges you think to speaking in that southern culture about these topics?
2: Well, definitely, I mean, definitely there is the the challenges of speaking more to a southern culture a, versus uh, a non-Southern culture, and what you have in Central Florida, you actually have a blend. It's a mixture of Southern culture. So we have a lot of people from the South. And when I when I moved here and I started to preach, they're like, "Where, where are you from?" Because uh, I know you're not from Florida. And yeah, so I'm from Tennessee. I still obviously have a little bit of that Tennessee accent. Although I do tell people that if you watch home videos of me growing up, you need <laughs> subtitles because I. Would, <laughs> Even more, you know, <laughs> accentuated in my southern accent, but yeah. So, I, so there is that. There is that challenge, and so. I would say in the Central Florida area, you you have that, you have to navigate the challenges of speaking to the Southern culture, because again, you have that mixture here. And then even the non-Southern culture of the Central Florida. And when you look at Orlando, uh, back in 2021 in Orlando Weekly, there was an article that came out that said that Orlando had the four, fourth highest concentration of gay and lesbian coupled household in the U.S. So, hmm. so you you do, so, so even those who are from Central Florida who are even not believers, I mean, mm-hmm. it is a part of the fabric. I mean, and they pride, well, I mean, pardon the pun, but they pride themselves on, you know, that kind of acceptance here in Orlando. So you're, so you're having, so as a pastor here, I'm going to have to navigate two really different kind of cultures too, where you do have the the Southern, you know, Trumpster type of people where mm-hmm. they're like well of course you, you know where and then That's the it. other yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah yeah okay. so you're 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 navigating that hmm.
1: sounds easy <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I, yeah, I wake up every day going, "Nah, this is a piece of cake."
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's good that you're emphasizing that challenge because mm. every pastor, whether they're from Central Florida or the South or wherever, or anyone in any part of church, they're like, "Oh yeah, we got some polarities," and some of that is good because there's at least diversity of opinion. But it creates challenges when you have to preach clarity and mm. then the rollout of that.
2: Well, and and I'll I'll just say this too for those pastors who are in southern context, what they're going to find is the closer they are to urban centers, the more diverse their context is going to be. The more rural they are, the more of that kind of you know a concentration on right. from a political standpoint, red, who's going to be more uh, biblically conservative. So you just have to play, you know, you have to pay attention to where you are at, even in the south, because of. Just those disparities between urban context and and suburbia and even rural context. Mm-hmm.
3: so so obviously, you are as the the head pastor of your church, you're kind of the spearhead for for the message and and everything that you're giving with clarity. How did you prepare staff? How did you prepare your elders? How did you prepare like your your leadership team to be a part of this journey and to to kind of I, I guess support that message that you were saying?
2: Yeah. So at first we started with our governing elder board. We because it had been a long time since they looked at what they what their primary doctrines were now marriage, family, gender and sexuality were not part of their primary doctrines. Huh. So what we chose as an elder board was to insert those uh, uh, those statements of belief of what we believe about marriage, family, and you know, and, and part of the the family was what we believe about children, and then also what we believe about gender and sexuality. And the reason why we we elevated them to primary is because we we do believe that those elements are in some sense up for debate today yeah, not, not only are. obviously in our culture but even in our churches mm-hmm. and if they become part of if, if they are up for debate, then we do believe that you have to you have to begin to now finagle how you view scripture. And so since we have a very high view of scripture, you know, we're not going to fina- you know, finagle or try to do some biblical, or hermeneutical gymnastics to kind of acquiesce to the spirit of our age, because if we do, then it's just a matter of time before we actually lose the gospel. And uh, so, so that that was the conversation we had as governing elders, and then we moved to once we once we nailed down here are our, our ten primary doctrines of what we believe. Uh, then we moved to teaching the staff. Now we have a staff uh, of about, um, 70, 75. So we taught all of our staff, what our primary doctrines are and gave them. And so basically it was like a, it was like a graduate level type class. Like I Mm -hmm. would spend about four or five weeks, uh, every week, about an hour and a half, two hours. And we just taught on what we believe as a church. Uh, and then allow, allowed them to ask questions uh, because they knew that this was where we're going and that at some point they would have to assign a staff covenant with, here's what we believe primarily uh, doctrinally as a church. Here's what our core values are as a as a church as a church staff and that you would have to adhere to affirm what we you know what we believe here because here's the other thing about a staff if you do not agree on these primary doctrines and you just want to you just want a paycheck then we cease to be a mission organization yeah uh, and, and and so so that was what we did and then what what we moved towards was a sermon series and we called it our Ted series and it was theological educational discourses. And so we broke them down more like kind of a little extended TED talks, but 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 it was it was more of a a different kind of sermon than what I would normally preach. And we did that TED series back in July. Wow.
1: So it was you guys made it part of your primary doctrine, doctrine, which that is becoming more commonplace. Like I know that CRC, which there's a lot of fallout of that, but I know like Preston believes that. I see this as a picture of the gospel. I would hold to that, to seeing it as primary doctrine. But you also said, and this is where uh, church leadership gets struggles is you had your team everyone who's a part of church leadership had to sign this not and they weren't giving lip service I just want to make that clear they weren't saying I can acquiesce and give lip service to this but I may believe something else or was it I actually believe this
2: no, they couldn't give lip service. I mean, so okay. secondary doctrines you can give lip service as long as you can come under authority. But here, no, I'm like primary doctrines would be yeah. what we believe about the Trinity, what we believe about salvation. So we we elevate it, and and I would actually say the church through the last you know through the two thousand year history of the church. Marriage, family, gender, and sexuality, it has always been primary, but because the cultural context was what it was, you didn't even think about it. But now that we're living in this post-Christian, post-Christendom type of culture, then now we have to just clarify, uh, this is what we've always believed. And, and and so but but that's why we you know kind of elevated it. But no, we you can't give lip service to this like you either believe this or you don't. And we actually had we actually had staff uh, transition out and we made sure that their tra- transition was gracious um, and generous, you know, on their way out. Because, again, that we're still dealing with human beings, too. Right. We just don't we just don't agree theologically here. And so and that's why we have so many different denominations, because at some point they didn't agree uh, theologically. Now, whether that was on tertiary or secondary doctrines, but they had to go down the street and start another church. So mm-hmm. that that's what they had to do here.
3: So so you came on in 2017 and then you had these these TED discourses, you said this summer.
2: This oh past yeah. Summer. So I, I, I came on, Matt, I came I came on staff in twenty twenty one. So oh, but 2021, no, the, okay. But the previous past, so they were without a pastor for five years. Mm. Okay. So
3: this so this rollout,
2: out, though. a lot of <laughs> lot of transitions.
3: Yeah. yeah. So this rollout for you though has been you know two two years in the making from going from hey we need to talk about this issue, getting kind of the the elder kind of leadership on, getting your team your staff kind of on board, and then starting to roll it out to the congregation.
2: Yeah, and it, it started about uh, three months after I got here. So I got here in March of 2022, and by like June or July of uh, 2022, I knew I was going to have to deal with it uh, because, yeah. yeah so how did you- in. And I'm like, well, welcome to Northland.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> how how did you just kind of prepare your your heart, your mind, your mm-hmm. own emotions for, I mean, what I'm sure you knew was going to be a conversation laden with pushback?
2: yeah well i knew that well i knew that there would be vocal minority voices you, you know like people who didn't agree so that's what i mean by vocal minority uh, the majority no this this is what they had always believed the elders were all on board but they had you know they just never kind of led through it so i'm having to lead them and and, and for me uh, the the way I approach pastoral ministry is that I know that pastoral ministry is is the call to not only want to know the power of Jesus's resurrection, but to participate in his suffering. That really gospel ministry and the call to pastor is a call to suffer. And sometimes you 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 suffer for, in various ways. But but part of that suffering is actually leading through very tough, messy uh, issues and situations, and so so I, I'm accustomed to it. I I know, <laughs> know that that's what I signed up for when I answered the call to to pastoral ministry. So, but but also you when when you enter into these these messy you know, when I say messy conversations, these messy decisions, you, you, you don't, you, you still want to enter into them with wisdom and prudence. And so that's how, yeah. So just having a plan, having a process, and then just executing it. But mm. but just knowing that that's part of pastoral ministry is, is the difficulty of it. Mm. Hmm. So
0: when you got to the point of actually doing the sermon series, you've Got your finger on the pulse of the culture there in, in that region. You're, you've worked through this with your elders and your staff. Uh, now it's time to actually bring it to the congregation. What were the
2: elements that you felt were critical to like have yeah. to present? Well, so, yeah. So the, the first element happens in really preparation. You do need to, be, because of the sensitivity of of the cultural context in which we live, you do need to enter into that conversation with fear and, trembling.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: and I think it's just, I think it's just helpful because people need to know that you've wrestled with it too, and that yeah. you're not calloused. So that that's number one, number two, you need to do it. You need to enter into it with tears. Yes. So T E A R S. And, and when you look, when you actually look at the apostle Paul's ministry, he had a ministry of tears. You mm-hmm. see that with, with, when he approaches the uh, Ephesian elders, uh, he, he's like, you saw how I cried, how I wrestled with this. And so I, th- I think one of the reasons why sometimes not only people in the church or outside the church have a, a difficult time digesting what pastors say is really how they approach saying it mm. is that they don't approach it with tears. Like when I'm counseling people that have had a, a, you know, an affair when, uh, or when they are struggling with an addiction or when they've just lost a spouse. I'm gonna cry with them mm. like you know because I, I want them to because that's part of the empathy that you're entering into um, and, and so that's what so that happens before you you know you even you even begin to preach. Um, but then the way I, I went, the, the way I structured that message is uh, through grace on the end. so I wanted to I wanted to start with Grace. I wanted to end with grace, and I wanted to give the truth in the middle. So yeah. almost like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I wanted, <laughs> wanted the jelly, you know, even though it's kind of sugary, that might be a little bit gracious. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to sandwich the truth. So mm-hmm. when when you think about Jesus and John 1, truth and grace, that he came in truth and grace, I wanted to cloak that entire message in truth and grace. Mm. Yeah.
1: Well, and you, <laughs> full disclosure, he let us. Right before he gave uh, the primary sermon on what the church believed about human sexuality and gender, he let our class this summer go through his talk, which was his sermon, which was very humble. <laughs> <laughs> may I say, uh, but I remember elements in there where you said, you know, you're very clear up front um, about what you believed. And then it seemed like your argument went to humanizing it, but you were clear about human sexuality. You were clear about what we believe about kids. you were clear what we believe about gender, but then there were just, this is how we're going to approach it. Here's how we're not here. We, here's how we are. Do you remember any of those elements like specifically that you put in? Yeah.
2: So, and one of the things that I did too is, and I know not all past, and, and which I'm not a funny guy, like, I mean, but I do try to use humor yeah. to so It's
1: So people wouldn't I know. A,
2: <laughs> I had a slide and uh, I, the, the very first slide that I showed the, the church was a rules of engagement slide. And there mm-hmm. were three rules of engagement, no cussing, no hitting and no name calling, you, you know, and just but just kind of going through that, like, you know, because I had to give these rules of engagement to my wife when we play board games, you know, like <laughs> no cussing, no hitting, no name calling, but just try to diffuse that. And then I, I went through I went through and, and I can go through them really quick. But and then I said, well, let me, on a serious note, let me give you the rules of engagement. And here they are. We enter into the these conversations full of truth and grace we enter into these conversations with humility. We enter into these conversations desiring to love God with all of our heart. Um, other other ones is our doctrinal beliefs aren't meant to serve as weapons to attack, but frameworks to teach. Mm-hmm. So, and then I even paused and said, if you've ever been attacked by scripture and and been beat down with someone using scripture, I am really, really sorry. The scripture is never meant to attack people, but to teach people. Also, I told them, just just because we hold different beliefs... Uh, doesn't mean we do not work for the shalom of all. So so even though we will hold a different belief than other people in the world, doesn't mean that we don't work for their flourishing either. Mm-hmm. Uh to love the world well, doesn't mean we have to agree or affirm everything that they believe. Because I do think that there's that myth going around that I got to affirm everything that you believe or do in order to love you. And that is that could that it could be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Um Here's another thing that I said in the introductory comments, the church isn't telling or demanding the world to change their beliefs on these matters. Like, so I want to diffuse them right there. I'm not, I'm not demanding that you believe the same thing that we, we believe. Um, And then these doctrine, these doctrinal beliefs aren't meant to shame guilt or condemn anyone. They're simply meant to teach you what God's standards are. We want to be a safe place for people to have open, honest, and difficult conversations. Um, And then here's another one that I said, is that as believers, now I stressed, as the church, as believers, we are not called to lower God's standard to accommodate our sinful desires. We should understand and uphold God's holy standards, fall deeper in love with Jesus, live under his authority, and be filled and empowered with the Spirit, and that we all fall short of God's glory. And then the last I said is that there is forgiveness, grace, and cleansing in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ our King. Mm-hmm. So so those are things that I those are the rules of engagement, the introductory comments that I wanted to come out of the gate with to try to diffuse yep. as much as I possibly could.
1: That's smart. Mm-hmm. If someone's listening, a pastor, uh, you know, a parishioner, somebody a layperson who goes to a church and is like, oh, I'd be curious to watch that. Could they, is it okay if we link your sermon in the show notes? Absolutely. All right, we'll do that. And I know that we did a follow up podcast, although I wasn't at your um, uh, sermon. I didn't watch you present it. We talked about even how it went on your podcast after. So I'll link to that too. Uh, yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's there's plenty of people who are curious, like how how did the sermon series end up? Like, what was the the kind of the pushback that you received? How how was it? how was it accepted or rejected from people
2: yeah um i i, I didn't get one bad email wow. i didn't get one negative comment I, I i even had people in that community come up and say with tears you you handled that as beautifully as i've ever seen anybody handle it and that but and that's and that's God I mean that that was the spirit of God. I mean that wasn't that wasn't because I was so clever yeah. you know or innovative. I mean it was but that's part of where the, the enter into it with fear and trepidation entering entering into it with tears like when I did so I so there was a there there because it was a TED series, the first kind of TED talk was marriage and family. That was a little bit easier. But then I got into gender and sexuality, and when I started that section, I I put a picture of ice cream up, and I mm-hmm. and I said, I know what you're trying to, I know what you're thinking, like, what does ice cream have to do with sex? Are you saying that sex is better than ice cream? Like, you know, oh, so to diffuse it. <laughs> and I said, let me tell you why I put ice cream, a picture of ice cream up, is because I've had a pastor tell me that if you want to be liked by everybody, go sell ice cream. Mm-hmm. And I said, and what I'm about to tell you is not selling ice cream. And I know it, Mm -hmm. what I'm about to tell you, it really is hard. Uh, What I'm about to tell you is something that I enter into truly with fear and trepidation. But I have been called by God to tell you what his word says. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not selling ice cream. I am telling you what the Bible says about these, and I, let's enter into it. So, so I try to, you know, again tr- try to really enter into it, but to tell people, like, listen, like this isn't, you know, in some sense, in the cultural context and the moment that we we live in. This isn't fun for me because I know. And, and here's the other thing that I did with that particular, you, you know, kind of message is I actually told people. I said there there are going to be three responses to what I'm about to say. One, there's going to be some of you you reject, renounce, and you roast me for believing what I you know what I believe. I get it. You're just going to cancel me. You're not going to, want to have anything to do with me. I, I get that. Then uh, second response is that there will be some of you that are open and objective to learning uh, more about what we believe here as a church. And I pleaded with Generation Z because we have a really, uh, we have a a heavy population demographic of Gen Z. Mm -hmm. And particularly in our 11 o'clock gathering, I looked at where they sit and I said, I'm pleading with you. I'm not asking you to believe what we believe. But but I'm pleading with you. Would you just be open and objective to learning? Mm-hmm. And then I knew that there were going to be people who agree and affirm and go, "Woohoo! Thank you. You finally yes." And, you know. So I'm just trying to state the obvious out there. So once again, I'm 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 telling everybody, I see you, hear you, I know where you are. <laughs> so
1: well, yeah. and I I just want to restate, and then Steve, I want to punt to you for the next question, but. Again, like we did last time with Sam Alberry, notice the tone. Josh could have said to his audience the same words, but with this like haughty martyr badge. I don't know if you guys know Mm. what I'm talking about, where you're like, (laughs) I just am saying God's truth. And if you guys hate me and cancel me, that's just on you. You're just going straight to hell. Like he's saying, Hey, this stinks. Like I recognize this is weighty which is why you said with tears. You said with fear and trembling, not because he's afraid of it necessarily, but I mean, there's a layer layer of fear of like, hey, this stinks. I don't want to say this. And and yet I'm charged by God and with tears. So he has the empathy alongside it. So I just want to say, you could say the same sentences Josh just said, but with this haughty martyr badge. Mm. Uh, And so I just want to encourage, if your heart is like detached at all, that's again why you've emphasized entering in. If your heart is detached or haughty, you're not ready for the pulpit. If you yeah. feel the weight of it and you're looking eye to eye, that could be a good sign you're ready to start talking.
2: Mm. And and I would just I, I would just also encourage pastors do not do not feel the need to apologize for what God's word teaches. Because I've heard, you know, pastors, I, I'm so sorry that I've got to say this, like no we God's not apologizing for what He's saying. That's mm-hmm. not you, you know. Mm-hmm. But we we can still say, "Hey, this is weighty. This is weighty. This mm-hmm. isn't easy." Right. But I've heard. I've actually listened to clips where you know pastors yep. have apologized for God's word.
1: Yeah, I, I, that I negates everything. Need to
2: be apologizing for God's word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so. Uh, you just kind
0: of did it. I was going to ask, you know, if there's anybody who's listening to this now, like a pastor who is just like, I think I need to do this, but I just, it's daunting. I'm overwhelmed for a thousand reasons. Like, what would you say to them in terms of like why they need to have this conversation? Why, why it needs to come from the pulpit?
2: Yeah, we are living in a day and age where biblical illiteracy is a thing, Uh, Mm. And it's just going to continue to get worse. Mm -hmm. Like one of the reasons why I like I just told people my philosophy of preaching and one of the reasons why I have a little bit more of a longer winded kind of style uh, is because when you look at just people and their Bible intake and engagement, it is it it is lacking Mm. severely. And so a lot of, and which we hope to change that over the course of of time that people are reading the Bible, they're studying the Bible on their own, they know the Bible. But right now, a lot of people in church, they don't right. know the Bible. So right. this is why it's so important to tackle just primary topics that the Bible does teach about this is what it means to follow Jesus in this realm. Like, um, so so that that's why I feel like the courage to 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 actually just teach what the Bible teaches mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's great as opposed to tickling ears because we definitely know Paul says in the latter days people will want mm-hmm. their ears tickled and 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 that's just kind of what I've already set the tone here at Northland like I'm not here to tickle your ears but but I am I am here to 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 lead you towards Jesus. Uh, you, you know, and sometimes we're going to laugh. Sometimes we're going to cry. Sometimes you, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a message where you're not gonna like Pastor Josh. But like this past <laughs> week, I said. You are going to love Pastor Josh today. And let me tell you why you're going to love Pastor Josh today is because I'm going to teach you what the Bible has to say about rest and recovery. And so they need rhythms of rest. So that means you can go on an extended vacation. I said, even the Bible tells you, you can go on an extended vacation. Like you, you, you just, you can go more than just a Sabbath. And that's, and I even gave them where the Bible tells them that, that every seven years Israel was to, was to take the, the entire year off from cultivating their land, from harvesting their land. And then yeah, every 50 years, it was the year of Jubilee. They were to do no work. Like I'm like, tell talk about an extended vacation. Now, I'm not telling you to take a year off, but you have about two, three weeks of extended vacation time. And I said, see, you're going to love Pastor Josh. So there's going to be times where when we preach the word, they're going to love the pastor. But then there's going to be times where we preach the word and you're going to be like, man, that, that hurt but I needed it. Yeah. And so, so that's where I would just tell pastors, like, you know, just preach the word in season and out of season and the whole counsel of God and let God do his work.
1: Goodness, thanks so much, Josh, for your words today, for your encouragement, for some of the specificity that I'm sure uh, was helpful to at least one pastor, if not many people. And for those who maybe even haven't heard a helpful sermon, just your embodiment of, let's let's do this, let's engage this messy middle. Thank you so much.
2: Amen. Well, thank you all so much for having me.
1: So guys, I will link to that sermon uh, in some of Josh Laxton's stuff, joshlaxton.com. But guys, what anything? I like this. I like this like minute debrief that yeah. stood out to you. You want to start, Steve?
0: Sure. Um, th- there was a lot that struck me. I mean, I think I just liked what he said about approaching this with tears. Yeah. And just I feel like that applies to so many things in shepherding and pastoral ministry even if you know we're lay pastors small group leaders whatever you like it it applies to all of us as we interact with one another um and are like known sinners to be humble and like approach it with that sobriety
1: i like that Mm. Mm -hmm. matt
0: yeah
3: i i think so as he was talking about his his sermon preparation the the tears the um, the emotion that goes into it, and even the the pleading with yeah. with Gen Z and with that kind of middle, like wrestle with this, wrestle with it. Um, and it really struck me as something that we don't love to do. I think it was in the, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast where they talked about the allure of narcissistic leadership, mm-hmm. that it's oh, like this yeah. comforting thing that it's like, oh, someone's so confident about what they're saying that I no longer have to carry the weight of it or think about it. Mm. And what he's portraying, what he's showing is just the opposite of that of, hey, I'm going to give you this message, but I, I want you, I need you to wrestle with it, to, to help carry it. Mm. Um, and it's important for people to, to really go through the process on their own and not just like take what is spoon-fed to them. Right. That's good.
1: That's really important, Matt. Mm-hmm. It's like becoming my favorite time is our digestion uh, <laughs> <laughs> of the podcast interview, not the person. Anyway, I do want to, what's standing out to me right now is he's like, it went awesome. I just want to say to the pastor who I interviewed 10 to 12 pastors across United States, for this paper I wrote for my class, and then God willing, it's going to be a pastoral paper for centerforfaith.com. Some of them, some of these pastors' churches got graffitied. Some of them, all the churches around, or all the houses around their church put up rainbow flags around them. Mm -hmm. They were labeled as hate mongers. Some of them, on the other side and from within their church, people left. Some lost 25 30% of their church, and they had the same attitude as Josh, mm. I read through their sermon some of them I was present for their sermons and they had a quote bad response but I want to say that's our eyes are not on the world for how they respond We can take note of that. we can be like, okay, maybe that wasn't great maybe I do' can pivot but there's times where you're like I have contorted my posture of this theology as much as I can and I'm just rolling this rolling out God's word and people still respond poorly. Uh, But I want to say all of it's well done. If people applaud, well done. If people leave, Mm. well done. If you're being faithful to Jesus, well done. Okay, we have a question of the week for next time. This is a big pivot. (laughs) What chore do you always do that your spouse slash roommate never does? So you know those things that are visible to you? that are invisible to those you live with that you're, you're like, oh, here i go taking out the trash again, or here I go shutting all the cupboards because Lori leaves them open all the time and doesn't know how to shut them. I don't know. Just popped in my what? head. <laughs> it's hypothetical. <laughs> that was just random, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, we, any f- initial thoughts, guys? What's one you always do, Steve? That's visible to you, invisible to Kelly and the kids.
0: Um, well i i have to say i i can't really say blanket statement kelly never does yeah yeah
1: yeah always never gets you Uh, right
0: right because i i think like historically they we've kind of had our roles and i more often you know and she uh but i think lately she's begun to do more but uh so we have this robot vacuum for Mm -hmm. our house Mm -hmm. you know those things um it was given to us as a gift And then one of our kids who doesn't live with us anymore took our actual vacuum vacuum. So the only vacuum we have for our whole house (laughs) is the little robot. And you kind of have to fuss with it, you know, like you have to like clean it out and get stuff off the brushes and all that kind of stuff. And I'm being the more tech person. I will do the robot vacuum when it needs to, when the house needs to be vacuumed, I'll do that. Kelly wants nothing to do with it, but she's happy that the vacuuming gets done.
1: Yeah. Matt, do you have that same exact thing that happens, but just with our version of <laughs> vacuum? With our version, yeah, I was I was
3: actually
0: thinking the one thing that I can
3: confidently say I am the one who always does it is removing the hair from the little brush roll <laughs> in our vacuum mm-hmm. or from our drains. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the traps also, in our drains. Yep. I am and the kids will watch me and they're like, gross. And I'm like, yeah, this is your hair and toothpaste. Right. Like Listen, <laughs> notice I what I'm doing.
1: I'm an empowered woman who can do everything except when I don't want to. <laughs> so anyway, I what do I, I take out the trash and these I feel like six, much more, much than
3: more you, to the to the trash can. To yeah. the trash
1: can and kids stuff that's just that's a lot of my world as i know the kids okay guys what about you what's visible to you invisible to those you live with what do you always do they don't uh that's it but hey guys uh before we wrap things up if you like the podcast it would be so meaningful to us if you would take a minute to rate and review it uh and you can also follow me Lori krieg on instagram and wcsg radio for more more Steve content. <laughs> <laughs> and the Zach of All Trades. Thank you so much to our courageous pastor of the day, Josh Laxton. And thank you to WCSG Radio in Grand Rapids. And our Zach of All Trades, our, I almost said our Zach of All Trades. I'm going to say that. Our Zach of All <laughs> Trades and his amazing intern, Delaney. For all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we'll see you next time.